Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. And Larry, today we're going to take a look at the previous three games for the Boilermakers. The loss down at Louisville in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the home game here against Moorhead State, and then our trip to New York City for the Jimmy V Classic and the Arizona State game. First, uh, we'll look back at the Louisville game and your thoughts on our trip down to uh, the Commonwealth. Well, the first half of the game was uh, a bad one for us, and uh, there's no other way around it because we came into that game uh, worrying about turnovers. What worried us would be their pressing defense, but that wasn't what bothered us. I thought Louisville's defensive intensity was terrific. They had decided that they were going to take our bigs out of the game. That was their game plan, and they executed it beautifully. So anytime the ball was touched in the post, they really swarmed to the ball, and they were able to recover to the perimeter pretty quickly. We became frustrated and and just played a poor first half. But I suggest, Elliot, to you, and of course you may have a different opinion, but that 8-0 run at the end of the first half to me was devastating because – even though they were making us look silly, we're shooting under 30% in the first half, we were still okay because defensively we had held them. Purdue only trailed by um, six points. And if we could have kept it at six at halftime, I think by the time we adjusted in the second half, and by the way, we scored 45 second-half points against that defense, I think we would have had a legitimate chance to win the game. Now. The way it unfolded, we came back from 18, got it to four, never got it to a one-possession game, but we did scare them. There's no question in the last couple of minutes, there were some worried expressions, not only on the Louisville players, but on Coach Patino's face and uh, the people in the stands. It it was pretty obvious because they were thinking, oh, no, he can't do this again because, and we preface this by saying, The previous game against Baylor on a neutral floor, they had blown a 22-point lead to lose to a very good Baylor team. So when it was all said and done, I thought we played a very poor first half, uh, played much better in the second half, and lost to a team. We were a a six-and-a-half-point underdog and lost to them by seven points when it was all said and done. Yeah, 71-64 the final down there. I agree with you with the first half. I thought at the end of the half, I kept telling myself on the bench there, if we can just keep this in single digits, it'll be manageable here in the second half because live, I didn't think there was any way we could play any worse. It's amazing how when you watch a game live in the building and then you go watch it on tape, the differences that you take away. There, there are times, and I thought this at the, in the, at the Louisville game, I thought no way we could play worse. We're not playing very hard or inspired right now. And then I watched the film, and it didn't look as bad on film. I still don't think we were playing very hard, um, and and the, certainly not at the level that the coaches want us to play in terms of uh, toughness, intensity, and hustle. But they were. But they were, absolutely. And, it, and you know, as you mentioned, coming off a loss, you're going to get a team's best shot. And they also know that this is an opportunity for them on their home floor. Uh, there's that old cliche, you got to take care of business on your home floor. And so there was a little extra pressure for them to take care of business and make sure they win their home games. And for us, the first true road test of the season as well, and you're playing in front of 20,000 plus in a, in the Yum Center. Uh, so for some of our, for Carson Edwards, you know, his first time um, as a Boilermaker in a true road game. But having said all that, I mean, let's be honest, we're 
we're a veteran team for the most part. Our guys been through a lot of games, a lot of good games, a lot of tough games on the road. So I, you know, I I kind of sloughed that off, with the exception that Louisville has one of the best home courts in in all of college basketball, as everybody knows. They win. 85 to 90 percent of their games in the Yum Center, and if they're non-conference games, they win about 96 percent of them. Well, and Coach got on the guys pretty pretty good after the game, and he he did reference that first half. And in fact, that to be honest, it's unacceptable to to do that, to get off to bad starts like that, especially against good teams. But he did mention something at the very end, which I thought was uh, was a good way to to put it. He said, "Now the the silver lining, if there is anything with this game, is if that's a top." 10, 15 team in the country, and in most people's minds it is, then we're right there. Because, uh, as you mentioned, you take away the, the poor start, and we play that team toe-to-toe the rest of the way. So uh, I don't think there's any question that we belong in that group, um, but as you mentioned, would have been nice to get off to a, a much better start down yeah, there. Yeah, but a good a good team to play. And, you know, I walked out of there, you know, hey, look, if, if they would have beat us, uh, you know, 80 to 30, and, you know, everybody would have been shaking their heads and saying, oh, my goodness. But that wasn't how it all came down. And, in fact, you know, at the end of the game, there were anxious moments for the home team. So um, I thought we really hung in there. And, I, you know, I said to Rob during the broadcast, I'm, I'm pretty proud of these guys for hanging in there because when you get spanked like that in the first half, uh, it's easy to have that thing just carry over the entire game for you. And it didn't. So. Well, and the the two losses we've had this year, I think what you take away, if you may, if it makes you feel any better, it seems like the errors in those games have been self-inflicted. Uh, we've turned the ball over. That continues to be a theme that obviously uh, is we've saw signs of getting better in the last couple games. But uh, at the end of the day, it's going to come down, I think, for this team is taking care of the ball. And um, that's that's been an issue. And, and we shoot ourselves in the foot from time to time on the turnovers. And Anytime you do that, you limit your chances to put points on the board. And uh, the, the more we continue to push that number down in, this, in, an, in a, the single digits direction, uh, the better off we're going we're gonna to be and the more success we're going to have. Piggybacking on that, we, we play Moorhead State, and I think the one headline that jumped out there as we go into the game is Coach makes a change in the starting lineup. He inserts uh, Carson Edwards for Vincent, Vincent Edwards. And one thing that he mentioned was uh, along those turnovers, our front line was responsible for a bulk of those. And he thought maybe that would be a way to maybe uh, take a chunk out of those turnovers that we were having as we went into the Moorhead State game. And it worked very well. That was a good, uh, that was a good lineup switch for a number of reasons. One, it did do what we thought it would do with the exception, and you'll even smile at this, that one of the problems that Benson has had is that he's been turning the ball over a lot early in games before that first uh, TV timeout at the five-minute mark. And golly, we put the Carson in there, and he had two turnovers. <laughs> His only two turnovers that he had in the game, he had before the five-minute mark of the uh, the first TV timeout. So, Coach Painter, in the middle of the game, he turned around and goes, well, I switched to two turnovers for two turnovers. I mean, he we recognized that right as it was happening. So, it's but funny remember, you that. but also remember though, he he hit his first four three point attempts too, and uh, got us cooking uh, offensively. So it worked well. And then, of course, uh, Coach Painter kept with that lineup switch uh, into the next game against Arizona State. And of course, Purdue had uh, tremendous results at Madison Square Garden. So. 
for the time being, I don't know how he's going to handle it with Mintz, but having said that, uh, he's still going to play the same amount of minutes almost, and he was so productive in both those games. So I don't know if he, you know, I don't know if he really cares right now where he's playing uh, because he's been very successful. Well, and you talked about the we get through Moorhead State on Saturday, uh, turn around with a practice on Sunday, leave Monday night to go to New York. And uh, as we get into that game, what first of all, what a great event the Jimmy V Classic is. I mean, this has been one of the premier events that ESPN puts on every year. It's kind of that deal where you get through the exempt tournaments uh, around the Thanksgiving time, and then you turn your, your sights to December and – after the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the next kind of marquee event in college basketball is the Jimmy V Classic. So it was really cool to be a part of that event. Uh, a doubleheader in Madison Square Garden. We played the first game at 7 o'clock, and then Duke and Florida tipped right after us, a, a little bit after 9 o'clock. And a great, uh, just a great all-around event, and really cool for our guys to be able to first go to New York City, which was the first time for a lot of them. But it's amazing how going in and playing a game in the Garden gets everybody a little bit more excited all the staff and players and and no matter how many times you've been there when you walk through that place it's impossible not to feel the history that comes along with it oh absolutely i mean um yeah and you know i'm in there taking pictures i've been in there uh, several times (laughs) in my career but i'm in there taking pictures anyway because to me yeah you get that feeling until the game started, and then they had us uh, really broadcast it from across the street. I, I, I mean, you can't believe how bad our location was. I, and I'm serious. I've never had one worse in my entire career than that one we had the other day. And, and I wasn't alone now. Every uh, visiting uh, radio group was up there. And uh, we were up in the rafters, and uh, we had plexiglass in front of us. And the sight lines were terrible, plus I can't see. I do have a new pair of glasses this week, so that'll never be a problem again because these things are like binoculars. I can see from... <laughs> Just you, don't stare in the sun. We don't want yeah, you to burn, yeah, burn your retinas exactly. But uh, but I had to call it, really, I had to call the game off the scoreboard, Elliot. I mean, I had to look at the... And, the, and that was in real time, and, the, and that's a beautiful scoreboard. So well, was, it's it's huge, and that's the downside. I think people maybe not, maybe not, um, would not think of this instinctively, when you go to a tournament or an event like that has four teams in it, and we're going to do that again when we go down to Indianapolis for the Crossroads, these venues are not set up that set way. up to right. put four broadcast crews courtside. So you've got the TV guys you're taking care of. You get all the bench personnel, the score scoreboard keeper, shot clock operator, all that stuff. You've got the teams officials, sports information guys that sit next to the benches that work with the TV people. Now t- television people have a sideline reporter. Yeah, and you could put two radio groups down there, which you would do in two, the NBA. Yes. Two fits. Four but, does uh, not. Four does not, unless you're, you know, you're into now. What will happen when it goes to the Big Ten tournament? Well, they'll have, they'll bring in new seats behind yeah. there. Now you've got to set up like the NCAA tournament with yeah, a exactly. ton of media present. Right, they, you exactly. know, they take out some seats to to give media better seats. But in these events, you guys get shuffled off to the second deck. <laughs> and it, it makes it tough. Now, I would say that Consigo's probably better than any of them. Oh, pretty good. Because you got to uh, – we're upstairs. Or Banker's Life, right? Yeah, I'm Banker's sorry. Life is uh, – we're upstairs and we're kind of at an angle, but it's it's fine. I mean, you have plenty of room. It's yeah, like the garden. It's like in a little suite. But we weren't even close to a suite. We're, <laughs> where were those guys did the uh, cameras? We all, all have those swivel things, you know. And But, like I said, I – 
you know, I looked at my brethren up there, and they all had the same vantage point I had. So. Well, I, I asked Chris Foreman before the game tip. I said, so where did they put the radio guys? And he points way up there. <laughs> and I started to look, and about 10 seconds later, I stopped. I couldn't find you guys. Yeah. That's how high you were. So it was a, a tough game for you guys to call, but a great effort by us on the floor. But you mentioned beginning of the game, those turnovers popped up again in the first six minutes or so. Uh, and then we seemed to calm down quite a bit, and then from then on just took off, and, and there was no looking back and really uh, really handed it to Arizona State. Well, when it was all said and done, uh, we were 15 out of 27 uh, shooting the ball from three. And so, you know, when you come home from a game, your, your mind starts to click, and you're, you know, I'm thinking as we're preparing to fly home, you know, how good our three-point shooting has been as a team all year. And so I looked it up today, this morning, actually. I just wanted to know how good we were on neutral floors because I knew we were so good in Mexico. The 3-0 record on neutral floors, the two games in Mexico, which basically was a ballroom, and then we were at Madison Square Garden. So there's there's a huge difference in venue. One's a basketball arena. The other one is, you know, putting a basketball court in your living room. But we shot 43 of 73. Think about that from three in those three games, going 3-0. and That's 59% Purdue shot in those three games. So then I thought, what about the other road game we had, which was at Louisville, a game that we lost and only scored 64 points. But Purdue was 10 of 23 in that game, which was at 43%. So on the year, in our four road games, Away from Mackey Arena, we're shooting 53 and 96, 55 percent from outside the arc. And if people haven't noticed or haven't heard, it puts Purdue in the top five in the country as a three-point shooting team because we're now at 44.8 percent overall. But the thing that surprises me, and we did have one really poor game that was against Georgia State, if you recall, we finished five of 22. But at home, we're 46 of 125, Elliot. We're four and one at home, but we're only shooting thirty-seven percent from three. So yeah. I asked, you know, I you know I asked Coach Painter about it today, and I just said, hey, you know, to me that's strange. I mean, you're going into a foreign place, three different, four different foreign places, and you're shooting much better than you are on your home uh, court. And you know, he kind of shook his head. Same thing. But the one thing that we do know, uh, this team has been lethal lately shooting the basketball. Well, and, and I think going into the season, Coach Painter made several references to, I don't know what we're going to have defensively. We may be a work in progress, but certainly from an offensive standpoint, it may be one of the best teams that he's ever had. And I know John Rothstein, who covers college basketball, is, he's used that tweet several times. He, he would, he'll would he tweet out, is this the best offensive team Matt Painter's ever had, with a question mark. Um, certainly the numbers are are trending in that direction it, we'll see obviously once we get into the big 10 schedule and if those numbers can maintain themselves but shooting over 50 percent from the floor overall and above 44 percent from three is really really good and i, I don't i don't I, i'm not sure we would be cert, surprised by the three-point numbers because with the personnel we have we certainly thought that was going to be a strength of this team with the perimeter shooting going into the season. Well, but we thought the same thing last year, and I didn't think that we shot as well as I thought we would, and we kept waiting for it. You know, it's like, you know, like Ryan Klein, Dakota Mathias, for example, and both of them ended up, you know, shooting the ball fairly well by the time the season was over. But you start, and then when this season started, the first couple of games, you know, and I'd, I'd seen a team in Spain and seen plenty of practices, and I'd seen – guys really really 
I mean, we have a plethora of shooters. I mean, we have more than two. Right. You know, we got six or seven. And uh, and so I, I thought, gosh, we're better than this. And I still think we're better free throw shooting team, yeah. by the way, Elliot, yeah. also. Yeah. Especially with our guards who don't get there as much. These, these three-point shooters are shooting as good from outside the arc than they are from the 15-foot strike. But anyway, having said that, uh, this group is uh, just really red hot now, and in the last five games, they've been clearly, if not the best in the country, certainly in the top five. Now, don't forget, we have like 350 Division One uh, basketball schools that are in those stats. So when we say top five, we're saying five of 350. Right. So, I mean, that, that that's that's quite eye-opening to me. And do I think we can continue it? Yeah, I really do, based on you know how we play and uh and everybody's in LA and and by the way one of the persons that have really helped here has been the addition of Ryan Klein because Spike Albrecht has been out with a back injury and Spike has you know really labored this year since he's played mainly because of injury so he's not shooting the ball like he normally does but it takes his minutes out of the game Ryan was coming off suspension we put him in and now he's I mean, he's hitting a ridiculous number of, uh, you know, I have to look this up real quick. I had it at the top of my head. But if you look at his uh, numbers, I mean, he is uh, 13 to 21. He's uh, shooting 62% from three. <laughs> he's taken only 21 shots in his in his time on the floor. So every shot he has taken has been a three-pointer, and he's hit 13 of them. Well, what's a, I want to reference one thing you said was last year, you, you said we made the case that we could have said that. We were saying that last year. We never really saw it come to fruition. And I think I want to make a point that I think that speaks to off-season improvement from guys. And a lot of times, and a little bit when we talked about, well, how is Purdue going to beat the press? You know, they don't have anybody that can beat the press. Guys get better year to year. Sure. I mean, guys make strides. They don't just sit around and uh, uh, and play video games all summer. Um, so I think that's, a, that's something that, maybe gets lost is when you when you have the same team coming back from last year predominantly which we do uh from last year um those guys they do get better in areas we've certainly got better attacking the press and i think we've got better at just making shots we had open shots last year that we that we weren't making like we are at the clip this year now hopefully as you said that can continue throughout the year and there's no evidence that says it won't but the other thing that when you look at those numbers is i'm putting myself in the shoes of our opponents and when you go to do a scouting report for us that's got to be a nightmare because you have so many guys like when we do a scouting report we will term certain guys bluff and stay guys which means you don't leave them when you guard them you bluff like you're going to help if another guy's driving the ball but you really never leave your man because he's such a dead eye he's going to make you pay if you leave him and with our team as you said there's five or six guys that would be considered bluff and stay based on the numbers and that really puts you in a bind uh, especially when you get guys like Carson Edwards who can get to the basket, uh, and then the big guys who can work underneath with Isaac and uh, and and Caleb, uh, it's tough to double team those guys without giving up something. Well, here's what I would do if I played Purdue: I would copy Rick Pitino's game plan. You're going to have to decide one way or the other, and then you're exactly right. Pick your poison. Uh, but what I would do is let's eliminate those big guys first. And then let's have them beat us from outside. That that would be my game plan. Because, um, but if you watched Arizona State, they didn't guard, and so we had 
really it was the second pass or the third pass. We had an open shot every time we wanted it. And, and in the second half, the press was so poor that it would be two passes down the floor and we'd have a layup. And you, you make such a great point about the press. The press this year has never been an issue anywhere. We've had maybe two or three errors on anybody's press, and there's been more than a few people that have used it on us. Our problem has been in the half court, and a lot of our turnovers have been unforced errors, three-second calls, traveling calls, uh, pick uh, illegal pick calls. They've been in the half court, and we've had and we've had some fumble fingers too, in the half court. But in the full court, no. I think Dakota's done a terrific job. PJ's done a great job. Of course, having uh, Carson is a a big help because he's a he's a one man press breaker the way he handles the ball. But I really like the way they've been able to get that ball, make a couple of passes, and you're in the front court, and we have an advantage. And we've been so good at it that teams really have gotten out of it because you know an athletic team like Auburn, for example, we just uh, we crippled them. Arizona State is not a non athletic team, right? I mean, right. And they here's a team. And the thing about that, and they try to press for a little bit. Yeah, they got out of it. Quickly. Got out of it quickly. And the other thing about Arizona State was that what we wanted to do defensively was get into the space a little bit on their three-point shooters because they really were really – they had, what, a team record, 18 three-pointers in the previous game. Yeah, they've got no fear when it comes to shooting the and ball. And we were watching those film, and I said, my goodness, these guys, they'll, they'll shoot it from 30 feet. But we did get into their space. They were 4 of 26, and, and so we executed that really well too. And I know that Bobby Hurley was kind of embarrassed by his team's performance and was pretty – outspoken about it to be honest but I thought we did a I thought we did a wonderful job well when the game was over uh, I went up and talked to some of the uh, Purdue fans that were sitting behind our bench Mike Steele was there former player here that was the head coach at East Carolina had been in college coaching a long time he's been retired for a couple years and I went up and, and shook his hand talked to him a little bit and he said you know it is amazing what a year of maturity and adding a guy like Carson Edwards does when teams try to press you and he referenced just what we we're talking about that Arizona State tried to press a little bit they got out of it quick and he said now you go, he goes I watch every game you guys play he goes the your method last year against the press what you guys were doing was accurate you were doing the right things you just were making the wrong decisions and maybe had a one or two guy well, you were one or two guards short uh, in terms of breaking the press so it's amazing like he said you had a guy like Carson uh, who can give you that dynamic of breaking the press on his own, and then just guys making the right decisions and playing with more confidence. I think when you attack a team and take care of the ball, 99% of that has confidence between the years, and we've done a, a great job with that so far. And another thing to bring up, too, and I think um, this happened when we had that slide a few years ago, and uh, that one bad season, as everybody can reference back to, where we – just finished the year so poorly, albeit there were some close games in there. But one of the things that we talked about over and over and over again, I know the staff did, I know you did, I know a lot of people around the team did, and that was we have got to get older. We have to get players that have some experience, that have played together and been together and see this now, by this time, we're getting we're getting to that point now. And, uh, you know, we lost, a, we lost a couple of great kids last year in Hammonds and Davis. But having said that, we were able to replace them. Not exactly the same type of players, but we've been able to. And now our guys have experience. And I've always, you know, I've looked at a team like Wisconsin when, uh, when Coach Ryan was there and would look at them and see how they would mature because 
the NBA wasn't picking off most of their guys their Absolutely. junior year. Absolutely. And he had them. He had them all the time, and they would just always, and that experience means so much to you. And to be honest, Michigan State's a lot like that too. They're not they're not built with one-and-done guys either, at least not during Tom's reign. And they just mature and get older. When those teams get old, man, they're hard to beat. Yeah, Wisconsin's the king of that. I mean, there were so many times when you would look and say, boy, they lose those three? Well, next year they're not going to be worth very much at all. Right, exactly. And then sure enough, those guys that had redshirted one year, played a little bit their freshman year, a little bit more their sophomore year, they came into their junior year, and boy, they were really good. And they put them right back to where they were used to being in the top three or four in our league. And that's the blueprint if uh, if you can get guys to do that. And I think we are on that path again. It seems like with the class we have coming in next year, uh, which we are going to be talking about in our next podcast. We're going to have Jack Owens join us and talk a little bit recruiting. Uh, we will talk about that and how you kind of piece together recruiting classes that fit one another, and so you can have that continuity year to year. So hopefully you don't take dips where you miss um, in an NCAA tournament appearance. Um, and I think also you're getting to the point where you're, you know, you're living to a certain identity. We're now to the point, you know, mainly because we've recruited kids that are like this, but we're – we're considered to be good inside, mm-hmm. and then of course our guards uh, coming into this season, it was a continuous, uh, continuous uh, mention of well, we'll see how good their guards are. Uh, our guards are pretty good; they've already proven it that they're pretty good, and that isn't really the issue at all with this team, in my opinion. If there's any issue with this team at all, it's just the turnovers, and I don't know what we're going to do about it because there's been games that we've won by 30 with 18 turnovers. Well, and and hopefully that – the good thing about that is it's very, very, very correctable. Um, It's hard to be a bad shooting team and suddenly find your shot in the middle of the season. So uh, turnovers is the one thing. I guess if I had to pick an ailment, it would probably be the turnover part because you can can fix that. You can get better at that. You can get a little more um, savvy when it comes to – to coughing the ball up, so I think that will be that. If if I had to pick something, that would be a good a good thing to have. Um, it's 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 not like you're hurting for big guys, and you know guys aren't going to grow in the middle of the season. You're not going to pick up somebody off the waiver wire. So uh, that that stuff is very correctable, and hopefully we'll continue to to shave those numbers down as we continue on here. So as we look ahead quickly, uh, I do want to mention one thing back to the the game in New York. One of the things that was really cool was to see we had. And I, and I do our tickets on the road, so I know some of the requests that come in. We had a lot of former players that came back and saw us. Coach Katie was was in the building, sat a few rows behind the bench. Uh, it's always good to see him. Chad Austin lives in New York City now. It was great to see him uh, come to the game. I mentioned Mike Steele was there. Dick Satterfield was there. Uh, it was great to have those guys. Uh, Kirk Clawson was there. Um, he sat next to, next to Coach Katie, and it was great to see so many of our former players there. And the one thing that was – really good as I look to my right where the media was sitting it was like a who's who of college basketball writers I mean there were a lot of big names in the building and you see obviously ESPN had their game day crew there with uh, Jason Williams and Seth Greenberg and Reese Davis Jay Billis broadcast the game but people like Dane O'Neill were there writing um, and, and anytime you see those kind of those names and those columnists to play like we did in front of them is such a plus because any time that they're asked on camera or write in a story and they're asked about Purdue, that's going to be their first impression. They're going to they're going to look back to that game and remember how well we played. 
And I just think those things, those are the things that the big programs that are on TV all the time, that's the advantage they get because that publicity helps everything. It helps oh, recruiting. I agree. helps your fan base. It helps uh, when it comes tournament time. There are going to be people on the selection committee that watch that game or at least read a story from them or will hear them reference Purdue in the future, and it will be based on that game. So, so many positives to take away from that whole trip and the fact that we played so well. And I think that experience really paid off there because we went into New York City to Madison Square Garden against an opponent that no one really knew that much about. Bobby Hurley's a big name in the East, though, and you knew darn well he wanted his team to play well because he's a former Dukey and a New Jersey guy. Mm-hmm. So he, he certainly wanted to play well, and, and the great thing about it was not only did we play well, we, we kind of spanked him. You know, we made it kind of a boring game for a lot of people to watch because we just – you know, we finished the first half last 10 minutes on a 32-11 to 11 run and took care of it at a, you know, 47-21 to 21 halftime lead, and the game was over. But you're exactly right because everybody sees that, and uh, they see all those balls being thrown up there and going through the nets, and people are saying, hey, you know, one thing about that Purdue team, they can, uh, they can really stroke it from outside. Yeah, all-around good trip for us. As we uh, look at the schedule here, uh, as the taping of this, we still have Cleveland State coming up, and then the Crossroads Classic down in Indianapolis again that's that's played a banker's life, the doubleheader. We will take on Notre Dame in the first game, followed by Butler, Indiana. What a slate that is this year because all four teams ranked going into this game, which I don't know if that's happened in the past. I don't recall either. I remember when Butler beat Indiana when Indiana was number one down there at that uh, thing. Uh, this has been a, a little sore spot for for us. And, uh, you know, I don't bring it up to upset anybody, but uh, we need to win one of these games. And, of course, Notre Dame uh, is very much like Purdue as far as shooting the basketball. In fact, we're like tied for fifth place. Is, fifth place is the best three-point shooting team in the country. So, gosh, I don't know what to expect there. It should be – I think both games would be terrific. We play in the first game. And I just think we'll see two really, really good games. And, you know, I'm, you know, I think anybody that's part of Indiana basketball should feel pretty proud to be part of this thing because I love this Crossroads Classic. Yeah, but would love it more with a big break. Yeah, we would. And it, it, it'll be a great environment, no doubt about that. Game tips at 2 o'clock on ESPN2 when we play Notre Dame down there. Four games left in the non-conference uh, schedule, and then we'll get into Big Ten play. So Purdue right now stands 7-2, and two, and uh, it would be nice – that's the obviously the game that sticks out the most to you in the final three here. We've got the other or the final four games. We've got the other three games at home, but no doubt that not only is that a big game because it is in state and it is a, a, a venue in which we've struggled a little bit lately, but also too, it's the marquee game in terms of building your resume for March uh, as sure. we close out the non-conference. And it's an ACC opponent, and uh, we played one before. That was Louisville. Lost that game on the road. Purdue's lost two games to teams that are ranked above them, including the number one team in the country in Villanova. So, you know, nothing hurt by losing those games right, as right. far as a resume is concerned. But I think when you play this game, this is a game that if you win, uh, you're certainly going to get some really nice points for the victory. And, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's important, to, you know, to win it. But uh, we'll, we'll just have to play it out and see what happens well and i'll wrap up with this i was looking at notre dame's schedule and when i looked at their acc schedule with every all these conferences growing in size and the imbalance they played duke 
North Carolina, and Virginia once. They get the top three teams, based on the rankings anyway, they get those top three teams once each. And so it's very uh, it's very possible for Notre Dame to be that team in the ACC that sneaks into that top three. And by, the, by season's end, you look at those ACC standings and where you'd expect to see Duke, North Carolina, Virginia, you know, Louisville, Syracuse, those type teams, it's very possible to see Notre Dame slide in there in that top three based on the scheduling. Well, that's, and that would be, you know, that makes that win it would even more impressive if that stuff, that kind of stuff plays out. Yeah, without a balanced schedule anymore in these conferences, uh, you know, it just takes away a little bit. Now it does. I'm not going to say, all right, you win a Big Ten championship. It doesn't mean anything. No, it does. Don't get me wrong, but there is a huge difference when you start comparing those schedules and you see things like, well, hey, we don't go to Duke. And we and I don't know what their schedule is, but you, we don't go to Duke and we don't go to North Carolina, but we go to Virginia. Well, that's a heck of an advantage. Right. Plus, you don't have to play them at home with a chance to lose them at home. Right. Because Notre Dame's not going to lose many games at home. But then, if you're not playing North Carolina or Duke at home, it can make a huge difference. So, and we and we're finding the same thing in our league. So, yeah. I mean, I know we don't go to Wisconsin this year, and nobody's complaining about that. I'm not. But I can tell you this: I think that makes I think it makes these postseason tournaments more important. I really do. I think it's I think to win a postseason tournament now, which I didn't before when you had 18 games and you were playing everybody. You know, if you won the conference tournament, why do you have to go win the tournament? You know. But now I think it does mean quite a bit. I really do. So, and it is what gives you the automatic bid to the NCAA. But. Having said all that, uh, I'm with you. So you're right. Notre Dame could be in the top three. Well, it'll be interesting to see, and certainly looking forward to that game, uh, Cleveland State and Notre Dame coming up. We will. Uh, our next podcast, as I referenced earlier, we're going to try to get Jack Owens on, associate head coach here. We're going to try to talk a little bit recruiting with Coach Owens. We want to get into a couple things, and you have one parting shot here. What was I do want to have one parting shot, and it's for people who who do travel to New York City. I I decided that. Uh, uh, I ordered my post-game uh, meal. Uh, I ordered my post-game meal before I had lunch on uh, Tuesday, the day of the game, and I I went with a eggplant pizza, not knowing that uh, that uh, the basketball ops guy wasn't going to allow uh, anybody to have a small pizza. He, he so we had big New York pizzas. Now this thing was as big as. Most people's desks. About, about the size of a poker table. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That was about the size of it. But anyway, so I do something really stupid. At noon, <laughs> I decide to go down the street from our hotel there on 7th Avenue, just go just a couple of stores down, and I'm going to have a sandwich, and I see an eggplant sandwich. And I say, oh, man, i got to have an eggplant sandwich. So, and that's your weakness. You were, a, you were I was an weak. eggplant connoisseur. Yes, yeah, so I ate the eggplant sandwich. But then after the game, I realized I don't want any more eggplant. <laughs> and then this thing comes to me, and it's like bigger than a house. And, well, one thing we try to do is sample the local cuisine. And <laughs> with the New York-style pizza, uh, they had one size. Now, normally, you buy them by the slice, okay? Right. Well, if you can imagine feeding, slices. if you can imagine feeding thirty people after a game's over, you get the food delivered to the arena. Uh, you got to have the per- delivery guy find the bus that's parked next to the arena. In this case, the garden doesn't have a loading dock. It, the buses park on the street right next to the garden. So we get all that coordinated, and it's much easier 
to make sure they box everything up, write the name of the player on the box so we can distribute the food in a timely fashion. And all that being said, it was impossible to order it by the slice. So we just did the whole pie. And I'm telling you, these things came in and they were as big as poker tables. We had, In fact, when I took the rest of mine home, I couldn't fit the box in the fridge. Couldn't even begin to. I had to take it out and put them in bags to put them in there. So that was our food adventure in New York. So uh, as I was saying, looking ahead, we're going to try to get Jack Owens on here next week. Um, next week is finals week for the Boilermakers. So that's why there's the gap in games for, between the uh, Cleveland State game on Saturday, the 10th of December and then the next game the 17th uh, Purdue will be going through finals that week and then when we play Notre Dame down the crossroads the first semester classes will be over th- for the guys and then uh, off to the holiday games and then the holiday break and when we come back we'll start Big Ten play so hopefully we'll get Coach Owens on next week talk some recruiting talk in some specifics about the class that we signed uh, here in the fall and then also just talk about recruiting in general we may have to make that a, a two-parter Um, because lots to discuss on that front. So thanks for listening, everybody, to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. We'll see you soon.